almost, and I don't know how she has the energy to do what she does all week and a lot of the people involved with that. That's up to him, okay? Anyway, yeah, the, for some reason, every year they ask me to play this kind of clueless, goofy character who at the very beginning of the VBS helps illustrate the main points of the day, and I don't know why every year they keep asking me to do that. Uh, I feel like I'm typecast. I feel like I want to ask for more serious roles as we move forward in the future, but anyway, I just kind of do what they ask me to do. So, For this morning, you can either thank or blame Spencer for this sermon. Now, it's interesting to note that Spencer's not here. I think he's worried about taking the blame for it. That's probably why he's not here. A few years ago, he recalled this message that I'm going to preach this morning and the other two that followed in a series, and he asked me if I'd do it again, and I really kind of resisted the idea, but as I prayed... And as I considered what to do for this morning, what to preach, I did think of this message and I decided that this would be a good time to do kind of a revised version of this message. So if you've heard it before, enjoy yourselves, have a good nap. If you haven't heard it before, I hope you enjoy it anyway. What do you think of when you think of roots? When you think of roots, you might think of trees or plants and the roots that they have. You might think of anything else that grows and the roots that anything that grows in the ground has. You might think of the miniseries that appeared on television in the 1970s. That was called Roots. You remember that story? It was the story of the heritage, the roots, of a man named Alex Haley who wrote a book by the same name. His ancestors were brought to the United States as slaves. That's one kind of roots. And, of course, we all have those kinds of roots in our lives, our ancestry. These kinds of roots mean where we came from including the soil in which our lives were rooted even before we were born. My roots are Irish and German, 100% Irish on my dad's side, 100% German on my mom's side, so I'm split right down the middle, 50-50, half Irish, half German. My family would probably tell you that my Irish roots help explain my temper. They don't call them the fighting Irish for nothing. Roots are an important thing, a vital thing for us to consider. Where we came from is only a part of what we must consider. Where we're going, how we're living our lives now, how we're prepared for the future also relates to the kinds of roots that we have in our lives now. And that's where the tree, the plants, the growing things analogy comes in. You've seen the little cards we have available here. They're out in the foyer. If you've never seen these, these little green cards, they say, are you rooted in a church? This little uh, handout communicates the same basic idea. It says inside, a tree doesn't grow unless it has roots. You also need spiritual roots set deep into God's word and others. My thinking on this message first began during a vacation several years ago when I was at my in-law's lake house in Arkansas. The lake level was way down and there were some things that were exposed on the shoreline of the lake that hadn't been exposed since the White River Valley was flooded when Beaver Dam was built in 1962 by the Army Corps of Engineers creating Beaver Lake. One of the things I saw was the remnants of this tree that you see here on the screen. Now the analogy breaks down just a little bit because clearly this tree's been dead for quite some time, but I do want you to notice something. Despite being underwater for more than 50 years, this tree is still here. I tried to move it, actually. 
I got out there and pushed on it real hard with my feet, and it's not going anywhere without a chainsaw or maybe a backhoe. The water level on the lake has risen again, and this particular stump is submerged once more. But it's not the weight of the remaining limbs and trunk holding this tree in place, because as you can see, there's not a whole lot left. It's the roots. It's the roots of this tree holding it in place. They must be very strong. They must be very deep. They must be very widespread to hold on through the flood and the stress of being underwater as long as it has been. Now think about this. Some trees have more roots that we can't see than leaves. You know, if you go underneath the ground, the roots are wider and deeper and broader uh, than the branches and the tree limbs that you can actually see above the ground. I began to think of the biblical analogies that we see about people and the spiritual roots that we all have. So today is part one of a three-part message that I'm calling Roots, Ripples, and Reference Points. You'll get the other two R's here in a few weeks. Lessons from the Lake. And next time I preach, we'll look at part two of Lessons from the Lake about ripples, and time after that, part three about reference points. The Apostle Paul also recognized the significance of roots in our spiritual lives. He wrote to the Colossians in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, this. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Being rooted and grounded in him is the most vital component of our life in Christ. Many other passages of Scripture communicate this idea as well. The Word tells us that being very well rooted in Christ is a very strong place to be. While the opposite place, having shallow roots or roots planted in poor soil, is a dangerous place to be. Scripture makes that just as clear. Consider that the key phrase used twice in this passage we just read which tells us clearly that where our roots are spread is critical in terms of how we will grow or whether we will even survive. If you look at those verses again in Colossians, verse 6 tells us to continue to live where? In him. Verse 7 says we are to be rooted and built up, again, where? In him. So we see that phrase, in him, twice in these two verses, It must say that where you sink your roots matters. If you sink your emotional and your spiritual roots deeply into the soil of the world, whether you intend to or not, you'll end up drawing spiritual nutrition from the world, and you'll be like the desert bush in Jeremiah chapter 17, or like the one with no root or shallow roots in the parable of the sower. We'll look at those passages briefly in just a moment. On what do you depend for your emotional and spiritual sustenance? How deeply are your roots sunk into either the world or into him, the things of God, the word of God, the kingdom of God? These are the questions I think we want to ask ourselves here this morning. Many proverbs actually help us to see the importance of a good root system, and we see that analogy used often in proverbs, a good root system that's sunk deeply into Christ And in his word, let's look briefly at two. We see this idea of in him. In Proverbs chapter 10, verse 30, 
we, we read, the righteous will never be uprooted, but the wicked will not remain in the land. And in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 3, we see a man cannot be established through wickedness, but the righteous cannot be uprooted. Isn't that a great thing to be thinking about here? The righteous cannot be uprooted. The word tells us that we are righteous when we are in Christ. What's more, think about this too. Lives that are dominated by wickedness have no stability. Have you ever noticed that? What's one thing you often seem to find in common with people who have lifestyles that are caught up in some habitual kinds of sins? There's no stability in their lives. They drift from place to place. Sometimes they drift from job to job. They can't maintain close relationships. They're often estranged from their families. There's little or no stability in their lives. They have no firm roots, if they have any roots at all. Now, the trees that we see at Beaver Lake that are unstable, like these, are the ones that have had their roots directly attacked. They might have had good roots at one point, probably did, but their roots were undermined by the force of the water beating against the shore when the lake level was too high, and now these trees are in danger of being uprooted completely. These trees before this survived, I'm sure, high winds and storms completely unscathed, yet when their roots were attacked because the soil in which they were rooted was eroded, that they've now become endangered. And, of course, for a plant of any kind, a tree, a flower, a weed, even a blade of grass, the worst thing that can happen to it is for it to be uprooted. Why is that? Because when a plant is uprooted, it can no longer gain access to the sustenance that it needs to provide, to survive. I'm sorry. It's the beginning of the end for that plant, isn't it? Unless it can be replanted. Now, most women enjoy when they get a bouquet of flowers from someone. But you know what? They don't last, do they? Nobody really expects them to last because they've been uprooted, or in this case, they've been cut. The flowering part of the plant has been cut off from the root system, which kept it alive. The flowers stay on sort of an artificial life support for a while in a a vase full of water, and the remaining part of the root, the stem, does its best to draw the nutrients directly needed from the water But the root system has been cut, and this plant is dying. Several days later, the flowers have withered and died. And I apologize to some of you ladies who love to get flowers for how unromantic this sounds. Maybe it's a guy thing, but when we give flowers like that, we're basically giving away dying plants. Plants that are figuratively and desperately gasping for their last breaths. They're dying, aren't they? Huh? because they're cut off from the root system, which was critical to their lives. I want to tell you this morning that our spiritual root system, our spiritual roots are critical to our lives as well. They're no less critical than that rose that sits in a vase dying because its roots are no longer intact, no longer planted in good soil. And that brings us to the functional purpose of roots. We can learn from the science of the matter. One science text tells us that roots are equal in importance to leaves as the life support system for plants and thus for all life in terrestrial ecosystems. And Bible Dictionary has some things to say about roots. 
The Holman Bible Dictionary says that the root is the part of the plant buried in and gaining nourishment through the ground. And in scripture, root generally appears in a figurative sense. Root indicates source. Remember that. Root indicates source, as when the unrighteous are pictured as a root bearing bitter and poisonous fruit, or when the love of money is described as the root of all kinds of evil. Deep-sinking roots picture stability and prosperity. And then we see exile is termed being uprooted, while taking root again pictures, exile, pictures return from exile and the renewal of God's blessing. Seed that fails to take root pictures those whose commitment to Christ is not firm enough to withstand trouble or persecution. To be rooted in Christ is to be established in faith. In Paul's allegory of the grapevine, Israel is the root of the plant, the church, the branches. So roots are related in scripture to the source of something for good or for ill. Well-established, deep roots picture stability and prosperity. Being uprooted or not rooted at all is clearly seen in Scripture as a bad thing. Nelson's Illustrated Bible Dictionary says this, the root is the part of the plant that provides stability and nourishment for the plant. Most of the references to roots in the Bible are symbolic based on this important relationship of the root to the plant. And as a metaphor, to be rooted means to be established, to be uprooted means to be dispossessed. So if we want to be established in the kingdom of God, we must have strong spiritual roots. What's more, we must have roots that are sunk deeply into good soil. Some types of soil are better for plants than others, right? Those of you who are gardeners or those of you who grew up on farms, you know that's true. If your soil is sandy or if it's clay-like, it's harder to grow healthy plants, maybe impossible in some cases. There are some elements in the soil which we put down our spiritual roots that they must contain. The soil must contain certain elements. One of those critical elements is the Word of God. Without the Word of God for our roots to draw from, we're unable to sustain ourselves. We're unable to find stability. Remember, those are the two key things that our roots help bring us. Our spiritual roots bring us spiritual sustenance, to keep us spiritually alive, to keep us spiritually healthy, to keep us fruitful, to keep us growing. And our spiritual roots also keep us stable, like that tree that's rooted in Beaver Lake. It was firmly planted with deep roots that kept it stable, that kept it from being completely washed away by the water. The context of the passage we started with in Colossians was exactly that idea, stability. There's a spiritual protection for us when we have deep, strong roots in him. Paul's purpose here in this passage in Colossians was protective. It was proactive. It was preventive. He wanted to make sure that the roots of the Colossians were so deep that they couldn't be uprooted or led astray from the Lord. So let's go back and look a little bit more at that passage from Colossians 2 in context This time we're going to begin with verse 2. We looked at verse 6 and 7 earlier. Let's read the whole passage from Colossians 2, 2 through 8. It reads that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this 
in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. And then the verses we read earlier, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And then verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. <coughs> Excuse me. Let's notice Paul's very clear purpose in this passage. Verse 4 says, I say this so that no one will delude you. And then in verse 6 and 7, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. And then in verse 8, we see one more warning about being uprooted. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. Another way to say that might be don't be uprooted. Don't let hollow or deceptive philosophy pull you up by the roots from good soil. One commentary noted that the Old Testament prophets used this kind of language for the people of Israel. If they obeyed God, they were taking root, they were planted, they were built up. Paul uses the illustration of our being rooted in Christ. Just as plants draw nourishment from the soil through their roots, so we draw our life-giving strength from Christ. The more we draw our strength from him, the less we will be fooled by those who falsely claim to have life's answers. So if our roots are deep and strong in Christ, we can have confidence in our source. Remember that roots often refer to the source, to the beginning. Our source is Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. When we're well-rooted in him, our roots are deep and strong, and we have much more protection from the things that might draw us away from him. The other critical element in the soil we're planted in is the people we surround ourselves with. This is true of our friends. It's true of our church. If you have close friends who are walking firmly with the Lord, you've got a part of, at least, a good root system that will help sustain and stabilize you. If you have friends who are uprooted, all too often what's going to happen? They're going to take you right along with them. They'll attack, perhaps unknowingly, certainly maybe unintentionally, but they'll attack nonetheless your root system. Before you know it, you're like those trees that were hanging onto the shore at Beaver Lake. Only time will tell if the rest of their roots are strong and deep enough to keep them from falling. The soil you're planted in includes the church you choose. Let me tell you from experience that being planted at TCF is being planted in good soil. I've been here 32 years, and no credit to me, all glory to God, I've grown during these 32 years I've been here. Growth and health is one of the things that indicates a strong root system planted in good soil. More than half my adult life I've drawn through my roots at TCF from the rich soil that's here in this fellowship. If being in one, two, one place for 32 years isn't stability, I don't know what is. That reminds me that time can be a factor in deep roots. Deep roots take some time to grow, don't they, to sink in. A young plant is just going to have shallow roots. 
Another thing that occurred to me, thinking about this analogy, you can't replant something indefinitely. That is, you can't just uproot it and replant it again and again. It takes great care to take a plant from one place in the soil and replant it elsewhere. It may not be impossible, depending on the stage of development of the plant, but it is difficult. And the more you do it, the less likely it is that that plant will survive at all, let alone thrive. The longer period of time that roots go down into the soil, the more stable that those roots and that that plant above it can be. If it's good soil, then there's still more stability. There's strength in a tree that has deep roots. It's solid. It's sturdy, right? We can be strong and solid and sturdy, too, when we put down roots in a place like TCF and don't uproot ourselves to find different soil. And let me tell you, there are, of course, other churches with good soil out there, but there are places where, honestly, the soil might not be quite as good as it is here, or even might be toxic soil, not very good for planting anything in at all. Considering the difficulty of uprooting a tree or a plant and replanting it elsewhere, we should think long and hard about doing that. Think, too, about what it means, for example, for a tree to be in a forest with other trees. There's the strength of numbers principle at work here, too, especially if you're one of the little trees in the forest of big trees. I may be a little birch sitting next to a mighty oak. Let's say someone like Jim Garrett or Bob McWilliams or Carl Eason, someone whose roots have been gone deeper and have been in the soil longer than mine have been. That makes them sturdier. And what benefit is that to me when the storm comes? Well, when the wind blows and maybe the hail falls, the mighty oak that I'm planted next to, as well as some of the other trees around me, they might help shield me to some degree from the brunt of the wind, huh? meaning I don't have to deal with so much of the power of that wind or possibly the uprooting effect of that wind because the more deeply rooted trees that are around me help protect me. Think about that. There's a lot to be said for the kind of soil that we're rooted in and for putting down deep roots. Another way to say that is that it's important to put down roots by investing significantly in the life of a good fellowship. With but a very few exceptions, I think it's safe to say that at least in part, deep, healthy spiritual roots may be related to the length of time that we are planted or rooted in one place. And when it comes to the soil of the church we're planted in and the time that we have walked with the Lord. Perhaps that makes it even more critical for us to be in a good church, especially when our roots are young and maybe just a little bit shallow. By no choice of our own, that's just the nature of the thing. Let's look at a couple of other additional passages of Scripture to help flesh out this reality of spiritual roots in our lives. We see in Matthew chapter 13, Mark 4, and Luke 8, we see Jesus tell the parable of the sower. I'm not going to read the whole passage to you this morning from any of these gospel accounts. You can look at those on your own if you'd like. But let's look at a couple key verses which serve actually as warnings to us. We see first in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 6, when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered. Why? Because they had no root. And then later in that chapter, verse 21, we see, but since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. 
when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. And then we read, read in Luke chapter 8, verse 13, those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. This is a warning about what happens when we have no root. When the going gets tough, when the sun comes up, when the heat comes, kind of like it is out there now, we see a lot of our plants and grass withering and browning up and struggling in the drought, those without a good spiritual root system will wither and die. Matthew 13, 21 explains that the heat can be trouble or persecution. Luke 8, 13 tells us it can simply be a time of testing. When we have no viable root system, when our roots are shallow, we are in danger. When our roots are not planted in good soil, our faith can wither and even die. We can't stand the heat. We can't stand the wind or any of the things that life can bring. And I'm here to tell you life can, in fact, and really is certain to bring those kinds of things. That's pretty much a guarantee. That brings us to a scripture I keep coming back to again and again and again in the course of my Christian life. Jeremiah chapter 17 issues a similar warning. We're going to read first verse 5 and 6. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. And then here's the metaphor. He will be like a bush in the wastelands. He will not see prosperity when it comes. He will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. So depending on flesh, depending on our own internal resources, our own abilities, or even on somebody else's for our strength, makes us like that bush in the desert wasteland. But the prophet, thank God, doesn't end there. He paints a better picture for those of us who choose to trust in the Lord. In this word picture, trust is a synonym, a metaphor for those who choose to put down their roots in him. We read in Jeremiah 17, verses 7 and 8, and these are the verses that I consider to be the closest thing I have to a life verse. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought, and it never fails to bear fruit. This is a meaningful passage to me, probably, again, the closest thing to a life verse that I have, and that's because I want to be that man who trusts in the Lord. I want to be that man whose confidence is in him. I want to be like that tree that has its roots by the stream, who doesn't fear when the heat of life comes, because it will come. It will come. What's more, I don't want to just survive. I want to thrive. I want my leaves to stay green. I don't want to worry when there's a time of drought in my life. And you know what? That's going to come too. Whatever the circumstances may include, I never want to fail to bear fruit. I want my leaves green and fruit-bearing. Do these desires describe what some of you want out of life too? Finally, I want to note that the gardening or farming analogy 
really works well in our spiritual lives. That's because a gardener or a farmer must cooperate with the realities of nature, the laws of gardening, if you will, to grow anything productively. But even with this cooperation, it takes God to make things grow. Without the sunlight, who provides the sunlight? Without the rain, without the quality of the soil, all of which are provided by God and God alone, you might be able to grow things to some degree, but you can't consistently and effectively and fruitfully grow anything. Yes, we do our part, but our part is absolutely worthless apart from the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, just as a gardener or a farmer's efforts can only cooperate with what nature brings. If you don't believe that, go ask the farmers what they're doing about the lack of rain. They're praying because that's the only thing that's going to bring rain. Of course, we all know who provides all those things that nature brings. So also, our efforts are not the initiative, but we must cooperate with what only the Holy Spirit can do in our spiritual lives. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Here's another way to say that. Jesus is the root, and we're the fruit. We cannot create fruit. We cannot grow roots without the vine. As Paul wrote to the Colossians, let's be rooted in him. Let's be built up in him. As we noted, that's the key phrase. In him, in him, in him. That's the key phrase. That's what we need to remember. Let's be strengthened in the faith. And let's overflow with thankfulness that Jesus enabled us to be rooted in him. Let's put down our roots deep into the living word, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And because of that, let's not only survive, but let's thrive in him. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for this wonderful picture you've created in Scripture of our need to be rooted and grounded in you. So, Father God, as we ponder these things, we do ask the question, where are we spreading our roots? Are we spreading it by the stream of living water, as Jeremiah 17 says? Or, Father, are we spreading it in a desert wasteland, in the things of the world, and hence drawing our spiritual and emotional nutrition from the things of the world? Father, help us to be careful where we plant ourselves, where we put down roots. Father, help us to always put our roots first deeply into the Word of God as our source of supply, Father God, and to remember that. And Father, we do remember and we do declare that this is all in Him. This is all in You, Lord God. We remember that, Father. Help us, Father God, as we move forward to keep our roots in You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.